Hello, Rebels. You're listening to a free audio-only recording of my show, Rebel Roundup. Now, if you like listening to this podcast, then you would love watching it. But in order to watch, you need to be a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. That's what we call our long-format TV-style shows here on The Rebel. Subscribers get access to watching my weekly show, as well as other great TV-style shows, too. It's only $8 a month to subscribe, or you can subscribe annually and get two months free. And just for podcast listeners, you can also save an extra 10% on a new premium membership by using the coupon code PODCAST when you subscribe. Just go to rebelnewsplus.com to become a member. And please leave a five-star review on this podcast and subscribe in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Those reviews are a great way to support Rebel News without spending a dime. And now, enjoy this free audio-only version of my show. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, ladies and gentlemen, and the rest of you, in which we look back at some of the very best commentaries of the week by your favorite Rebels. I'm your host, David Menzies. Well, talk about coming up with a crackpot solution for a problem that doesn't even exist. Yes, I speak of the city of Edmonton going ahead with putting up pricey solar panels in its gorgeous River Valley in order to expensively generate a piddling amount of power that isn't even required? Sheila Gunn-Reed has all the disturbing details. Andrea Humphrey went to a Vancouver rally the other day and stumbled upon numerous Canadian Trump supporters. Fancy that! If one were to believe the mainstream media narrative, one would think everyone in our great dominion loathes the U.S. president, but Drea has the video evidence to show that clearly is not the case. And violence and vandalism, arson and assault, or in other words, just another do rigueur day in Caledonia, Ontario. I'll share your letters regarding my most recent video about this beleaguered little town that is continually having to deal with protesters who are anything but peaceful. Those are your rebels, now let's round them up. Look, I don't like solar energy, so let's just get that out of the way right off the top here. Why? Because everything the environmental movement tells us about solar energy is a ridiculous lie. They say solar is free because don't you know? Sunlight is free. Except the panels are enormously expensive and require fossil fuel backup for when the sun doesn't shine, which is, you know half the time in the summer and then basically all of the time except for a few short hours of each day in the winter that is when the panels aren't completely covered in snow they like to say solar is clean and green except the panels contain toxic elements mined in atrocious and dirty ways in far-flung places like china by people paid a mere pittance for the extreme health risks they face. Now, this is from the Yale School of Environment. 
rare earth mining done near uranium deposits has also led to radioactive material clinging to the elements in some areas, according to Zhang Huang, a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Waterloo in Canada who studied the environmental and health impacts from rare earth mining while earning his PhD at Beijing University. The end impact, Huang said, could be on the central nervous system, cancers like bone cancer, skin cancer, and cardiovascular and respiratory issues. And the footprint of solar is enormous given the tiny amount of unreliable energy solar farms actually produce when they're producing it. Case in point, that new solar farm in Edmonton that will be built in the Edmonton River Valley, owned by the city-owned power and water utility, EPCOR. The E.L. Smith solar farm was approved in a 7-6 to six vote by the city council about two weeks ago, and it's meant to power the EPCOR-owned E.L. Smith water treatment facility. But even that's not entirely true, and we'll get to that in a second. But first, look at this. It was a narrow vote by city councillors Tuesday to give the go-ahead to a $30 million solar farm in Edmonton's River Valley. When finished, the farm will consist of 45,000 solar panels on 54 acres of land south of the E.L. Smith water treatment plant, which provides 65% of the water used in the greater Edmonton region, but is EPCOR's second largest source of greenhouse gas emissions like anybody cares. 70% of the power generated by the future solar farm will power the plant directly, while the rest is exported to the electrical grid. 54 acres in Edmonton's beautiful River Valley will be covered by these ugly solar panels, and it's not like we need them anyway. We aren't short of energy in these parts. We have hundreds of years of clean burning coal and natural gas under our feet. The city just self-imposed a goal to not use some conventional electricity because they set their own arbitrary and really crazy climate goals. Well, as Kermit the Frog used to croon, it's not easy being green and increasingly it would appear that it is often downright illogical being green as well. Like, how in the world does it make sense to commandeer so much area of Edmonton's gorgeous river valley and plunking down acres of solar panels that A, don't really deliver nearly enough solar energy and B, not, they're not needed in the first place given that oil-rich Alberta is hardly energy deficient to begin with. Again, does not compute. And joining me now with more on this controversial solar panel experiment is Sheila Gunn-Reed. Welcome to Rebel Roundup, my friend. David, thanks for having me on the show. It's always a pleasure. Sheila, let's just cut to the chase here. As far as I can tell, this is all really about virtue signaling by the usual yeah. leftist suspects on Edmonton City Council. Am I right? Yeah, 100%. We have uh, basically a, a green slash NDP mayor in Edmonton, Don Iveson, and um, the city-owned utility, EPCOR, has this mandate given to it by the lefty-dominated city council that they have to seek out um, 
these sources of expensive, unreliable green energy um, in the process of water treatment or delivering energy to the citizens. You know, Sheila, I've made this uh, remark before, especially in regard to uh, how the Rachel Notley NDP government got elected, but I spent two years in Alberta. And of all the jurisdictions in Canada, I mean, let's put it this way, I, I could see some kind of crackpot scheme like this being embraced yeah. in British Columbia, uh, in, you know, uh, Victoria or Vancouver. Yeah. But uh, Albertans aren't like that. Albertans, I mean, your hockey team, it's named the Oilers. That's your prime source of energy. The idea that there could be a majority on council that actually think this way, that get elected on these kind of crackpot ideas in the hub of Canada's energy province, it's baffling to me. Well, it's the uh, marriage of two problems here. We've got um, the fact that Edmonton is the government city. So a lot of government workers live there. So government workers, with government workers comes public sector unions, with public sector unions comes left-wing politics. So we have a lot of that concentrated in Edmonton, which I guess is kind of good because then they're all in one place um, <laughs> from the outside looking in. But also there's a, it's a problem with the conservative movement that we aren't as a movement getting involved in local municipal councils. And this pandemic should really be a wake up call to everybody because a lot of the more draconian and authoritarian rules coming about the pandemic are coming from local municipalities because there aren't enough conservatives getting involved in local politics. And that seems to be the case here. It was a close vote, yeah. uh, six to seven, um, to go ahead with this solar facility. And in the end, it has me siding with environmentalists who say, not in my backyard. I'm saying not in my river valley. Edmonton has the largest river valley green space in North America, and they are putting 54 acres of solar panels in it. Unbelievable. And, and Sheila, you've touched upon a very significant point with this particular debate uh, when it comes to environmentalism. This issue is kind of like there's one set of greens that are the pro-solar panel uh, greens, and then there's the nature, keep the river valley natural green. So within the green movement, this was in itself an issue of controversy too, wasn't it? Yeah, it definitely was. And just to give some context to our viewers who are not from the Edmonton area, literally just west of Edmonton city limits, you're in coal country. Parkland County is coal country. Um, I think best estimates say there are roughly about 800 years of some of the cleanest burning coal in the world under our feet here in Alberta. Um, we have so much natural gas, in particular in Medicine Hat, that at, at certain times in our history, seeped out of the ground. That's why Rudyard Kipling said that Medicine Hat has, to misquote him, all hell for a basement. Um, we are so energy rich and in such close proximity to Edmonton, there is no need for this. And at the end of the day, it is pure virtue signaling because it will only produce at the very best of times about 20% of the power that the water treatment facility that this thing is meant to power will need. On the clearest of days in the most optimal conditions, don't even get me started about Edmonton's winter sunlight. 
I think we get maybe six hours a day of it in the winter. So that's even fewer um, hours that this thing would produce energy for uh, the tr water treatment facility. It's ridiculous. And the worst part of all, I could go on about this forever, but the worst part of it all is that the money for this thing came from overcharging Edmonton electricity ratepayers for the past few years. So people who are already paying a carbon tax had to pay the virtue signaling tax to build a solar plant we don't need in the Edmonton River Valley to produce almost no energy. You know, Sheila, let me get this straight. They are gonna sacrifice 54 acres of green space for yep. the solar panels and at the optimum, I guess, charging or energy uh, generation level, it's only 20% of the needs for the water treatment plant, meaning I guess the water treatment plant for the other 80% has to re rely on uh, traditional fossil fuels. This is just staggering. I mean, let alone the cost of putting these in. How how was this sold by those who supported these solar panels that this is a good idea? Because clearly, if you and I were in business, um, th this isn't a dead dog. This is a dead dog with fleas. Th this is a horrible deal. How did they make a case that this is a good idea? Well, I mean... Really, it comes down to just the city council is infested with lefties. That's really what it comes down to it. And lefties aren't going to make the business case. They're going to make the feel good case because if they wanted to make the business case for this, they couldn't have because Medicine Hat, that city I mentioned before from southern Alberta that has so much gas at some points it leaked out of the ground. They put in a solar panel facility there to virtue signal again. Uh, I think it cost about $12 million and it only lasted five years before they took it out. Even the mayor admitted that it made absolutely no financial sense at the time. And the worst thing about these solar panels is they are so extremely toxic. They have to be treated as hazardous waste when you take them out. And so to put them in the river valley where they can leach these uh, sometimes radioactive, sometimes cancer causing, highly lethal chemicals into the river valley if you were a green like i'm looking at this saying okay this is pretty risky but these greenies th this is the anti-pipeline crowd and yet they're perfectly fine with these highly toxic hazardous waste carrying solar panels in the river valley so their green conscience evaporates when it comes to all those detrimental issues you just said you know, Sheila, we're going to have to wrap it here. I think this is just yet another example, and politicians love to do this. I mm -hmm. won't call this a mega project, but, you know, it's something very visible. And, you know, whether it's building a new stadium or arena or a library or a community center, they just love that photo op, getting in front of that big ribbon, you know, with the big oversized giant yep. scissors and saying to everybody, look, look what I, the mayor of Edmonton, have given you. And yet it's a, a money-losing, non-functional uh, power source for just one plant, the water treatment plant. It's, as they say about the Pontiac Fiero, all show, no go, Right. Well, I mean, and could you imagine? Think of the things you can that could happen to you if the water treatment facility went down. Like, think of Jeez. all the pathogens that would that you're entrusting to solar energy to eliminate from the water system. Thank God there's fossil fuel backup because solar energy and wind energy, those are the last things that I want to trust with the water security. 
uh, in and around the Edmonton area. But yeah, you are right. Politicians love a good legacy project um, where they can, you know, get the credit for spending other people's money and often not wisely. Unbelievable. Once again, another example of uh, feelings triumphing over facts. Sheila, great commentary. Thank you so much for weighing in on this. Thanks. Have a great weekend, David. You got it. And that was Sheila Gunn-Reed, somewhere in northern Alberta where I don't think there are any government-funded solar panels taking over the acreage. Keep it here, folks. More of Rebel Roundup to come right after this. Humphrey here with Rebel News. It is almost time to see if Trump or Biden is going to win the election. But my question is, how many Canadians want to see Trump in office for four more years? Now, some people might think there is no such thing as a Canadian Trump supporter. Certainly not one that is a person of color. I'm here to tell you otherwise. Uh, take a look at this clip where somewhere of close to a thousand Canadians were Trump trumping, were chanting Trump's name at the Vancouver Art Gallery. Trump, 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 Trump. That clip was from Lorlin Tyler Thompson's channel. And I think a lot of people don't know that many people would chant for Trump. So I'm gonna ask some passerbys as their opinion on Trump and then I'm also going to show you some clips that I've collected over time from Canadian Trump supporters so let's take a look God bless President Trump we love you okay I'm Mexican Canadian and I love Trump why because he's pro-life pro-life this is the number one and he and we wish as canadian to have somebody just like him he goes for americans he fights for americans is exactly he's not a politician he's a businessman he is not getting any any salary for already four years so he's a billionaire who left everything for the people he loves his country. He loves his country. He wants his country to grow, the people to grow, have businesses. He loves his people. He's not selling out to foreign agents like the Chinese Communist Party. I get emotional when I talk to when I speak about President Trump. He is such a great man. He is suffering like all these uh, nonsense in the media and everything. I, I just love him very much. I just love him very much. And, you know, just keep it up. Don't, don't let those bad people to, uh, take you down. Keep it up. We are all behind you. The whole world is behind you. Well, hard to believe that after four years of the left collectively losing its mind and doing everything in its power to undermine President Donald Trump, that the U.S. election is just a mere four days away. Now, if you were to exclusively follow the mainstream media, you'd be led to believe that virtually all Canadians loathe President Trump. But as Drea Humphrey discovered, even in the bosom of leftist Vancouver, Trump has plenty of vocal fans. So, Drea, welcome to Rebel Roundup. And that was so refreshing to see the incumbent president receiving lauding as opposed to loathing in Lotus Land. But 
I'll tell you why I'm personally rooting for Trump to win, other than the obvious reasons, of course, and it's this, Drea. Canadian property values, they're going to soar. I mean, how many times have we heard stories about American celebrities vowing to move to Canada should Trump get reelected? And if I can, uh, you know, make a few more bucks off Casa Menzoid, thanks to the supply and demand dynamics changing overnight, so be it. What do you think about that? Well, I think you're right. I think (laughs) that people maybe don't understand how much this is really going to influence Canada and You know, Trump is saying if Biden wins, China wins. And I feel like that's a concern for me, too, because I feel like the influence, um, China's influence over Canada is going to grow, too. So, Yeah, you know, I I mean, when it comes to the celebrities, uh, two things. One, I don't believe them when they say they're going to leave their um, Malibu mansions. And secondly, I think there is um, a bit of chutzpah on their part. I think these people are so shallow that they think by making a statement of where they're going to live their multimillionaire lives, that means the people of middle America and elsewhere, people that actually have to get up at the crack of dawn and earn a living, they're going to follow in lockstep. But I don't think that's the case, Drea. I think we're in for another repeat of what happened in the 2016 election, when if you read the media and you looked at the polls, this was a slam dunk Hillary Clinton victory. And also, didn't celebrities say the same thing back then? I'm pretty sure they were saying they were going to move here if uh, Hillary yes. did. <laughs> oh, <laughs> we'll see. But yeah, I think the silent majority is going to hit the polls. And, uh, you know, just like with Hillary taking too long to give her speech after she lost, we'll see that happen with Biden as well. At least I hope that's what happens. <laughs> Uh, I, I share your hope. And, and you know, Drea, I mean, like, I have never in my life seen a media establishment so against a president as what we've seen these last four years. I mean, Ronald Reagan uh, got tough uh, questioning, but it was never like this. This is uncharted waters that we sailed in. And, and I don't understand it. I mean, when you look at this president's accomplishments, uh, pre-Wuhan virus, of course, because that's the only metric you really should be going by, given that was a worldwide pandemic, but you have a roaring economy. You have manufacturing coming back to America. You have America actually energy independent for the first time in like, something like 70 years. Um, unemployment at historical lows, and historical lows for black Americans, Hispanics, Asian Americans, females. This should be the, me- the narrative that's dominating. And yet, if you look at the mainstream media coverage, this is a scandal-plagued president with ties to Russia. Uh, have you ever seen such biased reporting uh, yourself, Drea? No, I haven't. And I mean, I can remember when I kind of woke up to the whole, oh, wow, they're really, really just spreading propaganda about Trump. Like it was, I was kind of like, okay, yeah, he says dumb things. And sometimes he tweets (laughs) dumb things. But um, when I had that wake up moment of actually going and, and looking at exactly what he said in context, and just seeing how mainstream media blows it out of proportion, it really was an eye-opener and unfortunately a lot of people don't even do that they they don't even think that it's possible for mainstream media to be pitching a narrative that isn't reality 
Yeah, and I think the um, tipping point, just to show how much the mainstream media and social media giants are in the tank when it comes to the Democrats, the Hunter Biden story, Drea, for goodness sake, that should be page one of every American paper. Instead, you have the likes of Twitter banning the New York Post from, from being tweeted out. I, I mean, this is astonishing. Um, last week, National Public Radio released a statement as to why they're not uh, covering the Hunter Biden scandal. And uh, to paraphrase the statement, it was, well, we don't want to give you know coverage to this uh, it'll be a distraction for the American people during this important election. Can you actually believe what you're hearing some days when it comes to the, nar the narrative around this election, Drea? No, I can't. And with Twitter as well saying, you know, because it's hacked, even though it's straight from his laptop. I mean, it, it's, it's actually frightening because, you know, when media, not just the media in the U.S., we're seeing it in Canada too. They're not covering the story too. So, you know, it's out of country and, you know, they're limiting, they're suppressing the knowledge that's available to the masses. And I find that terrifying. I do too, Dre. And I think, you know, th this is why, I mean, people might say, okay, you found some Trump supporters in Vancouver giving the president a thumbs up, big deal. Uh, the election's an American story. Actually, I think it's a global story. I think people around the world, especially the free world, are watching this election with such renewed interest. I think this is the most important election in America's history since 1864, when Lincoln was running to get reelected. Yeah. And believe it, believe it or not, folks, that was not a slam dunk. Uh, and he was facing the same kind of uh, garbage uh, that Trump is facing, um, the media against him for the way the Civil War was going. Uh, there were so many other parallels. And I, I think um, if you live in the free world and you see what Trump is up against, I think this makes you want to support uh, President Trump getting reelected. Yeah, I think that in a lot of ways, people have come around to wanting to, to support Trump through all this, because um, even with the whole pandemic, I mean, when you look at, yes, you know, he might have said it was a hoax and all of that, but he actually acted way faster than, let's say, Justin Trudeau. I mean, I think he closed the borders uh, maybe 42 days, over 40 days uh, sooner than our prime minister. But they keep coming at him with the same things, you know, oh, 200,000 people died. And if you don't vote for Biden, 200,000 more people will die. So I do think people are, are catching on. I hope they're catching on to that. And yeah, Trump uh, 2020, four more years. Oh yeah, and I, I feel he has been harshly uh, treated, so unfairly treated about the pandemic. Um, if you look at such Democrat states as New York, Michigan, California, they were transferring COVID positive patients into old folks homes, into long-term ca long care facilities, the absolute worst place they could be transferred to. And uh, you know, it comes down to this, Drea, you know, Donald Trump has looked at some of the Democrat-run states, the Democrat-run cities, where minorities uh, traditionally uh, and overwhelmingly vote Democrat, but you look about, you look around, your, you know, say the the city of Baltimore, and what a hellhole that has descended into. And his message is: Listen, vote Republican. Really, what have you got to lose? Yeah, 
Exactly. And it, it's, I saw photos of, you know, a lot of black people lined up and then they were all saying, oh, look how many are voting for Biden. But I suspect it's one of those things where it's like, you're not going to be telling everybody if you're voting for Trump, you're standing in the line. But people don't know who people are voting for until it goes down for real. So. Yeah, and you know what? Since you mentioned uh, black Americans, Drea, I have to ask you this because one of the most astonishing statements <laughs> during this campaign was Joe Biden. And I mean, I can only imagine what the media outroar would have been if it was Donald Trump saying this for <laughs> word for word. But basically, you're not really black if you, if you don't vote Democrat. As a black woman, how did you feel when you heard that? I laughed pretty hard when I heard that. <laughs> the fact that people like, you know, that are supposedly concerned about black rights and things like that, if they can actually see past that and still vote, it's it's just totally nonsensical. And I don't know if you know that Chelsea Handler recently called out 50 Cent in the same sort of fashion. She literally said, I had to remind him he was black because <laughs> he said that uh, he's voting for Trump because he doesn't want to go from 50 Cent to 20 Cent. And um, so you have these white people coming out, putting black people in their place, you know what I mean? And because they're free thinkers. I mean, it's the most racist thing I've, I've ever heard of. <laughs> you know, thank you for reminding me about that, Drea. One of the other storylines is that those black conservatives that have been vocal about who they're voting for, i.e. not the Democrats, the way they have been treated, the racist insults they have been slurred with uh, because of their stance. It is absolutely egregious and shameful, I think. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, Drea, we've got to wrap it here. Uh, before we go, a uh, quick prediction for Tuesday. What do you think is going to happen? I think we're going to see, well, I don't think we're going to get the results, but I think <laughs> we're going to see that Trump is winning. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm experiencing deja vu myself. If you believe the media, if you believe the polling firms, it looks like a slam dunk for Biden. But that's the way it was for Hillary Clinton in 2016. I think it could very well be a Trump landslide. The only uh, caveat is that if this is not a rigged game, right? If there is, if, if the fraudulent monkey business is, uh, you know, is taken care of, I think, I really think that's the only way uh, Trump uh, can lose, as a matter of fact. So thank you for weighing in, and uh, you know, good for you for finding um, uh, what some people might think is a needle in a haystack, Trump supporters in Vancouver. It was <laughs> I thought, actually. <laughs> okay, then. Thanks, Thanks so much. You have a good weekend, Drea. Bye. And that was Drea Humphrey in Vancouver. Keep it here, folks. More of Bravo Roundup to come right after this. Well, folks, I'm with Andrew Bradbury. He lives just outside of Caledonia. You might re recall the name of James Bradbury. That's uh, actually the son of uh, Andrew. And Andrew, what has been happening in the last few days? It seems that there's been some really terrible, violent incidents. And uh, I don't want to say it's Caledonia classic of uh, 2006, but it has that vibe to it, doesn't it? It certainly does. Things have changed and, and they are different from 2006. Now it's, uh, I think they're different protesters, younger people, more angry. And I think when instead of 
exercising their rights to protest as we all have and we all should, they come, they protest, but they, uh, they take uh, equipment and they basically steal it, they use it to dig up roads, uh, roads that, you know, townspeople need just to get to a hospital or to get to get food or whatever. And uh, in the one case where they were taking down the power grid there with the hydro pole, they're uh, setting fire to that, they're using diggers to dig up basically the road, but as the uh, hydro saying goes, call before you dig, they didn't call, they just kept digging, they hit one of the main um, gas lines, uh, they pull up the rail lines. They're, this town is a small town and they've, we've, I've asked a number of professionals in the construction business and, that, and they said it's, cost, it's going to cost millions of dollars to repair the damage they've done. This small, a special group of people, what they've done here. And this is under the... Who's going to pay for that? We're paying for it. And this is under the guise of being land defenders. I mean, I'm sorry, that's, that's just not right. There is a way to, to protest, and this is not the right way. The violence has come solely from the OPP firing rubber bullets and tasering our people, peaceful people. They Wait a second, ma'am. This was an OPP cruiser that had bricks thrown at it? Wasn't, isn't that true? You're speaking of what happened a couple of days ago? Uh, well, I mean, it, it's been ongoing, but the thing why is, is that why are they here? They're not wanted they here. Not be here. They don't need to be here. We're peaceful. Amongst ourselves, we have no problems. Oh, Ma'am, the, the history of Caledonia, the recent history going back to 2006 has been anything but peaceful. Well, yeah, but we're not the instigators of this. Violence and vandalism. Arson and assault, or in other words, just another day in Caledonia, Ontario. Last Sunday, we were tipped off that a potentially ugly showdown was emerging. Native protesters, along with their Antifa and Black Lives Matter allies, <laughs> bust in from Toronto, of course, had threatened to march past the police blockade and right into the town. The narrative was they were going to steal or destroy anything that caught their fancy. But a large police presence and several townspeople met the protesters at the barricade and the mob thankfully changed its mind. But sadly, since this is Caledonia, don't expect peace to last here. Without further ado, here's what you had to say about the latest round of tensions. Plume Tube writes, I am First Nations. I do not stand behind what these people are doing. No one owns any of this earth. All they are doing is holding back progress for our people. Well, Plume Tube, you're not the only native who feels this way. I would be wrong to characterize that all of the natives on the Six Nations Reserve are prone to violence. They want to live their lives peacefully too. It would be nice if law enforcement could lay down the rule of law to make that so. Mitch Miller writes, if Trudeau can't move him off railroad tracks, highly doubt he's going to move him off the streets. Sadly, you are right, Mitch Miller. If the Ontario Provincial Police can't enact the rule of law, then perhaps the Army would glean a better result. Just one hitch, Justin Trudeau would never sign off on that initiative. Scratch1234 writes, these aren't even local natives. These are native Antifa. Yes, many of them are. And do you think these people really want a peaceful solution? No, they thrive on violence and anarchy, and we should not be accommodating them. Michael Bobkov writes, Return the land to the dinosaurs. 
Now, I think the Toronto Raptors are rich enough to buy their own land. And Sid Kumar writes, one law for the natives and another law for us. Yes, sadly, such a two-tier way of policing was de rigueur going back 14 years ago when Dalton McGuinty was premier and Julian Fantino was the OPP commissioner. But there's been regime change since then, of course. And the buck stops with Premier Doug Ford. He can't simply hold a press conference and say that what is happening in Caledonia is unacceptable. Of course it's unacceptable. We all know that. But what's really and truly unacceptable is for the Premier to not back up his words with actions and for law enforcement to simply look the other way. If this doesn't change, nothing will ever improve in Caledonia. That's not just unacceptable, that's disgraceful. Well, that wraps up another edition of Rebel Roundup. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next week. And hey, folks, never forget, without risk, there can be no glory. Good night.